0: Alright, we're here with Freddie Williams, who's going to be at LubboCon coming up February 29th and March 1st. Freddie, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, and thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for being here. We're really excited. You know, Lubbock, we're kind of in the middle of everything, yet away from everything at the same time. So getting awesome talent and things it's really exciting for us, especially me. Like, I'm a huge comic fan, so when we announced you, I was over the moon. I'm giddy.
1: <laughs> well, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I lived in Texas briefly uh, back in, I think it was 98, 98, I believe. I lived in Garland, Texas a little bit. So I've always considered Texas like a, a bit of a second home. It always feels like going home, even though the state is gigantic compared to, especially compared to Kansas and Missouri, which is where I grew up for the most part, but um, I'm looking forward to it. And, um, oh, on a side note, did you do the graphics for the announcements um, for the Lubbock Con? I the ones that kind of like 8-bit graphics?
0: I did not. I kind of came up with the 8-bit idea, mm-hmm. but I'm more of the writer side than the artist side, so uh, we actually have a, a couple of graphic designers who every year just, take it and run with it and do some really cool things and yeah these these 8-bit designs have been a lot of fun
1: yeah well they look they look great i was gonna my compliments to you you know for the concept <laughs> and then whoever created them uh did a great job I, I thought that was really neat It looks like a you know like a character select screen for a video game and just pretty clever i haven't seen that before yeah
0: and it worked out really our posters our big um 11 by 17 posters look like a standing arcade unit so it, it worked out you know <laughs> kind of win-win now I know these kids nowadays are like, oh, it's a Minecraft graphic. And we're like, no, it's an <laughs> 8-bit graphic. There's a huge difference.
1: <laughs> I know what Minecraft is, only very vaguely. I know that you build stuff that's about it. But yeah, that's funny because that to me still, I love the 8-bit graphics a lot more than the more sort of realistic graphics that are happening now. Mm-hmm. It's great that they can do it. It's a, quite an advancement in technology to see some of the you know uh, highly detailed graphics that are in more modern video games, but my my sensibilities are very much the eight bit stuff.
0: Yeah, I love. I'm a huge gamer, but I play a lot of side scrolling games. So there's a whole art like artistic movement now in video games where they're going back to the eight bit style, but with <laughs> the technology now, like it's still eight bit, but it's a polished eight bit, and so it's it's a lot of fun. And they're going back and telling stories, you know, because back then we didn't have the technology to have the characters do more than just jump and punch. Now they're using the <laughs> old graphics to tell fleshed out stories and do more with them and I just I think it's really cool. I'm I'm a nostalgia person though, so
1: <laughs> Yeah, I wish I had more, more time to get into that stuff because it, it's like as you're describing it, it sounds really cool. But uh if I get into a video game, like my deadlines will will evaporate or whatever, I'll start blowing deadlines and that's like <laughs> I don't know, I can't do it, so I have to, like, steer clear of it. We occasionally play some older games. Like, we did get uh, Shovel Knight. We did get that a little while ago, and we played that a little bit, but I wasn't particularly good at it, so it made me, like, I came to a crossroads where it was like either play more to get better at it or just go, eh, I'll I'll take the the loss and (laughs) step away from it because I didn't want (laughs) to get too dedicated to it, you know?
0: Yeah, that game went from easy to hard, like, in, in one level. You're like, okay, I can do this, and then... Cause I have it on Xbox, and yeah, it was I was doing all right, trucking along, and then the next level I died twenty times at halfway <laughs> through, and it's kind of the that's same what it way. seemed like
1: to me as well. I just I just assumed it was because I am so out of video games normally, but so maybe that's just how the game is, though.
0: We're gonna say we're both great at video games. It was the game was just that difficult. That,
1: <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> we can agree on that. Yeah,
0: uh, but you know, talking video games and nostalgia and everything. I mentioned at the top, like we're excited to have you here because you're you're a big comic guest. Um comics are awesome if if people don't realize that they've never been to the movies or anything. Comics are everywhere. There's a lot of avenues for people to get into comics now. Like so whether it be the movies, the T V series, or heaven forbid, actual comics, but what got you into comics? As a fan, you know, were you a fan before you were professional or vice versa? How did that happen?
1: Yeah, I was a fan first. My earliest memories when having comics were like some hand-me-down comics from some of my older cousins. And so those were like really, really old uh, Superman and some Spider-Man and some Batman stuff that were, you know, all frayed along the, the spine and stuff like that. And then that was around the same time I was watching Super Friends and Know, you know, I was pretty young at the time. Then flash forward to when I was maybe 13, 14, something like that, where I saw my first Jim Lee comic book. So this is like a big, you know, leap in time. But whenever I was uh, about to be a freshman in high school, I uh, we had this garage sale, and I took my garage sale monies and, and went up to the local convenience store. And we were going to get some snacks and stuff. But whenever I started looking at the spinner rack of, of comics, I saw X-Men 272. And that was like part of the Extinction Agenda stuff that Jim Lee had drawn for X-Men. And whenever I opened it up, it just stopped me in my tracks. And I spent money on comics instead. And then shortly after that, I also, at uh, our local library at the time, saw ElfQuest Book 3. It was like a collection of, of uh, some ElfQuest stuff that came out in like the mid to late 70s but you know I was seeing it and it just it blew me away as well so very very different types of comics but they roughly hit me about the same time so that's those are the two probably most significant books a lot of other books made big impressions on me but those are the two books that got me to want to like delve more into comic books and start collecting them as best I could with the little money that I had and that eventually led to me you know enjoying the artwork so much that I thought well you know cuz I'd always enjoy drawing, maybe I should try my hand at, you know, becoming a professional comic book artist.
0: Nice. Well, we're, we're glad that has happened and everything went down. Uh, Your, your story, I'm sitting here nodding because the same thing, I mean, I think there's a lot of people of our age group that Jim Lee is the reason a lot of us got into comics, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, that's really pretty. And then you get in and you get like the Claremont stories and everything, and it's just, it was a really neat, almost renaissance, because, you know, you're coming off of the 80s when you have all your Frank Miller and Alan Moore dark, depressing, gritty stuff, which is great. But this was kind of <laughs> like new, bright superheroes, and it was, yeah, honestly, I miss Spinner X so much. I, those were great at grocery yeah. stores and drugstores and everything.
1: Yeah, I think it's a real shame that there's not more of them as far as just, you know, you're a, a kid being at the grocery store with the parent. And then, you know, they, they stumble into comic books and think, wow, these are really neat. And I can just open it and look through it. I don't have to get them out of a bag or something. I, it's a shame that there's not something that simulates that experience as often. Now, there were the, uh, you know, Walmart comics and stuff. Uh, and I think that did help, that's something, but it's different, it's like, it's not at the upper front checkout area where you can pick it up while your parent is starting to get the, you know, the groceries through the cashier or whatever, where you're just bored as a kid, and you look around, and you're like, oh, what's that, and then it clicks for you, it would be great if there was something like, like that now.
0: Well, and with those Walmart comics, you know, and the wonderful collector's mentality that is in this genre a lot you know, i know some of our local walmarts they were sold out as soon as they went on the shelf they don't get two or three copies or they were damaged yeah. and so people would snag you know snag them up uh, my i have two sons and my four-year-old has a pull list at our local comic shop he gets all the scooby-doo books that come out <laughs> and so you know just like you said you know to being able to expose the kids to that i think it's a big thing you mentioned your library had some and i th- that's something that's really awesome because not all libraries do. I think it's starting to become a little more acceptable to put graphic novels and trades and stuff in libraries. But uh, you know, any exposure kids can have to comics, I am a hundred percent on board for. I think mm-hmm. it's really cool. So yeah, me too. So here we are. You you said okay, I can do this. I'm going to be a professional. For the folks at home, what are like some of the your favorite projects you've done you know maybe not the biggest projects you've done but just some ones that you're like this is why I'm here this is fun I love doing this (laughs) yeah
1: Yeah, I think that the the first one that comes to mind I mean this is I'm deliberately avoiding talking about the the bigger ones but the first one sort of in that that framing would be Captain Atom uh and that was in 2000. Let me see, 11, I think there was this thing called the New 52, which I'm sure you've heard of, but maybe not everyone in the audience has. So DC Comics rebooted starting from issue one, uh, started the whole line all over again for, for DC Comics. And I drew a series called Captain Adam. and I was working with J.T. Kroll, who's a very good uh, writer, but we were working together in a very collaborative manner. Uh, and then I was also trying all these new artistic techniques and for me, it was the first real experience I was having with doing ink wash. And then I was just merge. I was just doing all these different types of media. So like some of it was drawn in this really stark black and white, heavy ink style. And then other parts of it were ink wash and um, parts of it were colored differently. It was just, I don't know, it is a very experimental book and the sales were terrible on it, but we, I think it was a, a solid book and they let us go for 13 issues, which is, you know, quite a bit it's because DC actually they, they liked what we were doing and even though it didn't really have an audience it's possible it could have found one they never did but also they just like they just liked to see where the book was going we we're doing all this weird stuff so that's probably the one of the, the main ones that stand out but eventually like so a few years later so in 2015 I got really really lucky and got to draw um, the crossover of Batman and the ninja Turtles and that has been an amazing experience and totally you know career defining or career um the trajectory of my career totally changed in a really positive way, and um, the uh, I, I owe that in a big way to my editor at the time, Jim Chadwick, who he I you know basically emailed him and asked him, hey, if you you know are thinking about doing a Batman and Ninja Turtles crossover, I'd I'd love to draw that, and then linked him to some images I had drawn of uh, the Ninja Turtles, and we'd already worked together on a little Batman thing, and so that's and I just so happened to have really good timing, and that's how I got hired for it. So the I don't usually have good timing. Uh, so it feels like luck was a gigantic factor in this, or I know that it was, and then that led to a bunch of other stuff as well. So Batman and Ninja Turtles is probably the biggest and, and most rewarding project that I've I've worked on.
0: So you you've done a few crossovers over the years, and as a fan of the medium, you know, you said you were a fan beforehand. How cool is that? As kids, you know, you always wonder, well, Who would win in a fight he-man or superman batman or donatello you know you're getting to draw your every kid's dream matchups you know the stuff that you just talked about on the playground Uh, are there times where you feel like with these characters you're not only have to do service to the characters and to the fandom but even to yourself because this is this is it you know these are these big crossovers and how you handle these characters? That there's always expectations because these are, like I said, what people have talked about on playgrounds for decades or longer. <laughs> yeah. And is is that is there like a weight that comes with that, or do you just have fun and do it your way and, and make sure you're happy?
1: <laughs> it's 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 kind of both of those things. There's definitely a weight, as in it, it feels heavy because you don't know what the fan reaction will be, and and not that. I mean, I don't think it's it's good to like try to let fan reaction steer you know a project or something. However, it's it, it was nice that so many people reacted positively. Um, so you know I was fortunate in that Batman and the Turtles are both very malleable. so there's there's a lot of different iterations of those characters out if you look at a you know there's a wide variety of different takes on Batman and the same thing with the Turtles. So there was the advan- That is definitely an advantage for me. And since I'm such a big fan of the original Eastman Laird turtles, that was what I was heavily influenced by. That, and then I did ex- some explore um, exploratory sketching and created some style guides for myself of how I'd want to approach the characters that DC and IDW were both on board for. That's a very clinical s- sort of explanation of the exploration. But the, you know, when I got. The sort of green light, and the thumbs up that I was going to get to draw the series, there was a lot of pressure. I don't know. I was putting myself under a lot of pressure, and that's one of the reasons I did the style guide, just to make sure I felt like I was on the right path and that you know the publishers didn't object or anything, and they all liked it. So, but yeah, there's the the fun part or the the easy part of it, because not all of it was easy, uh, not all of it was hard. But the the, the easier part of it was that. Uh, the Tim Burton Batman film had come out in 1989. And that, of course, was in my subconscious whenever I was growing up. That was a very, you know, public, sort of popular movie. And then the next year is when the Ninja Turtles movie came out. Now, I was a fan of Ninja Turtles before that. The same older cousins who had given me those older comics when I was a kid, uh, one of them, uh, my cousin Jay, had introduced me to the Ninja Turtles and the comic book form and the reprints. And when I remember the first time he said the name, and I was like, I had never heard a series of words like that strung together, you know, just, it just sounded like what, what now, what did you say? You know, like, can you say that again? So I had seen the comics first. Then when there was the two, those two movies, the Batman and then the the turtles movie the following year, in my mind, they were kind of fused together in some ways, you know? And if you look at some of the visual language, the, the sort of, I don't know, the, the cinematography and stuff in both of those films, you can see a bit of a similarity, uh, you know, not intentional necessarily, but they merged together pretty well visually. So I feel like I had an advantage with that because to me, they already belonged together and it was, you know, separately true with He-Man and the Thundercats. Whenever I was a kid, those were the, you know, those are, those two cartoons were contemporary to each other and I'd watch them, you know, on the same day or within the same week over and over and over. So, and I had toys that I played with together, even though they were different scales. So it, there is a lot of pressure, but luckily it felt like it already, I didn't have to like uh, overcome this big obstacle in my mind where it was like, how am I going to make these work visually together or something? Because they already basically belong together for me. And then after that, it was, I'm glad that people are, are enjoying what I'm doing. That's a relief. You know?
0: Yeah. I, I've seen your, Studies, I guess as it were on your website, you have a whole series of hey, these are the mirage turtles These are the Laird turtles (laughs) and I think that's really cool. That shows That passion, you know that you care enough to say, okay What turtles are my turtles? You know everyone talks about oh, this is my Batman or my Superman, but people have their own Turtles and even like in the third movie when they changed their faces up. I was not a fan I was like no those aren't the turtles I know, so the <laughs> fact that you went to that length and did all that is just awesome I think that speaks <laughs> not not only to your fandom and uh your love for the craft as well not just for the characters but your love for the craft, which is impressive and that's something I kind of wanted to segue to is you've written some non uh, non fiction i guess is is the best way to say it you have there's a lot of people out there that know you through your guides and tutorials and things. How did that series uh, of your life, that part of your life, come about? Where you're saying, you know, I want to share this gift that I have with other people. I want to help them learn how to hone their own skills and things.
1: Yeah, good, good question. You and I were were emailing about this, but it was you know preparing for the panel, the the how the um, breaking in and and showing your portfolio panel at the show, but kind of reignited. <laughs> some of my desire to do a <laughs> tattoo stuff. So when so I'm I'm an old man and whenever I was trying to figure out what it takes to become a comic book artist and the types of materials and just whatever it was to be a comic book artist, those that type of information was scant. It was hard to find that stuff. Now how to draw comics the Marvel Way is a fantastic book. Um that's a book that changed my life as well. But it doesn't necessarily tell you like the exact size of paper or exactly stuff about iFlow for sequential stuff there's there's a bunch of i mean it's great for starting you out but there's still a lot of how-to stuff that there's still a lot of the fundamentals and advanced stuff that you won't find in books especially back then in the 90s so that began like a i don't know unquenchable thirst to try to find out how to do things and then once i started seeing how some artists would do it i would then hear that other artists did it differently so then it became a quest of finding information that wasn't just a repeat of previous information so to find unique or new information so it comes from a place of me being interested just myself in the craft of creating comics and you know other art forms as well but specifically comics and so i i have a pretty extensive how-to collection of my own even stuff where i've xeroxed out of old books or you know, tore stuff out of magazines, if there was just like an interview of an artist who gave a little tour of their studio or or how to create a page or something. So that started the interest for myself. And then about the time that I, uh, I don't know, a little bit before I I broke into the industry, uh, into comics professionally, I had started working for an independent company um, that the, the editor, the writer that I was working with was a little heavy handed with their with their direction. So they, you know, they wrote the script and then as I was coming up with rough layouts and stuff, they had all of this input because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't giving them what they wanted because of my lack of skill or, you know, cause it was early on and also because they were just kind of heavy handed. So when I was working out the rough layouts on paper, I'd have all this erasing and restructure to draw or, you know have to completely start from scratch uh but then i started doing some digital editing to my rough layouts and then i started just doing all my roughs digital and then i started doing uh what what are called breakdown drawings which are like structure drawings uh digital so i kept it's like i i was the 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 need for flexibility drove me to start working digital at the front end of my you know sequential art and stuff um because working working digital gives you a lot of versatility in that way so that eventually i'm not sure if how you know how other people worked digital or if they were working digital or anything i had constructed for myself a way of working digital for comics using adobe photoshop and then later using some 3d models and stuff for reference and after, shortly after I broke in at DC, by that point, I, I had the ability to, if, if I wanted to, to either work 100% digital or working where you just do your layouts digital and then you print it out onto your artboard, and that's called a hybrid workflow. And so while I was discussing my exclusive at DC at the time, I'm no longer under exclusive, but I was for six years there, I had you know I said, well, I've, I've got this how-to book idea that I've been starting to, to show around to different publishers. Will that create a conflict with my exclusive? Because my exclusive was was talking about our art, you know, not necessarily writing, though. So I was like, I'm going to be writing this, but I'll be drawing some examples in the book. So it's kind of, you know, am I starting to tread on the exclusive territory? And the uh, legal guy that I was talking to at D.C. said, well, well, why don't you just pitch it here? And I was like, oh, Oh, well, to be honest, I hadn't thought of it. It's like I, it hadn't even occurred to me. I knew that they had their own how-to line. And at that point, there was you know, the writing, the penciling, and the inking ones, um, and the lettering one. Yeah, the lettering slash coloring one had all come out. Uh, but it just didn't even dawn on me that they would be interested. I don't know why. And so I said, yeah, sure. And so we, I actually took a trip to New York specifically to, to give them a demonstration in person. I took my laptop there and my little Wacom tablet and, and showed them in person and they liked it, and they greenlit it. So, I over the course of the next like two years, I wrote this book with the help of my editor at the time, a guy named John Morgan, who is still a publisher now, I believe he's at uh, Penguin Books, if I'm not mistaken. But he was at the time at, at DC, and it took me quite a while because I was doing it in between my my regular sequential deadlines and stuff. So I would just fit in parts of this book here where here and there where I could. So anyway, that's that's how I basically wrote that. Well, then about the time the book came out was when YouTube was beginning to become popular uh, or more accessible to me, and uh, so I started putting up some how-to videos on my on a YouTube channel, and I enjoyed doing that. But eventually, the type of artwork that I was doing was so extensive and detailed that I had to make a decision. It's like the the amount of time that I'm spending on a YouTube video, I could basically be making these pages better. So I eventually moved away from, you know, from the YouTube stuff, but I still at panel, I'm sorry, at conventions, I'll do panel discussions and speak to young artists and try to show them, I don't know, a, and a direction that they could go into, which is, you know, you could look at this how to stuff, but there's just such a plethora of it online now that there's a lot of information that they can easily access. So th- that's a long explanation but it's uh it's all sort of integrated together <laughs> that's why it's such a long answer
0: yeah i think i mean the fact that you're wanting to help the young artists and stuff i think that's cool because i have this mental picture when you're telling that story of like late 90s early 2000s Freddie with one of those yarn boards with all these clips of how to be a comic artist and like the yarn connecting this article to this <laughs> article and you're just you are at your drawing table studying it like okay I got to crack this code and figure out <laughs> and but nowadays you know like you said you know thanks to people like you and other people on YouTube and stuff kids can go on there and say okay you know I to show me how to be a comic book artist or whatever
1: <laughs> right um, yeah exactly <laughs> i mean it, there is a variety of stuff and sometimes there is bad information occasionally whenever i'm i'm searching on YouTube for new stuff you'll get somebody who is giving what I would consider bad advice. Mm -hmm. So there is not, so it's like, you know, sort of the opposite is true where there's just so much information it might be a bit of an overload, but there's like college programs and, you know, trade schools that that specialize in, you know, sequential storytelling is what they'll usually call it. So there's ways to find out definitely through more of a a structured environment. Um, I remember the way that I figured out that we, you know, that you drew on 11 by 17 paper was I had, I like measured a comic book, an actual printed comic book. And then I called my local uh, copy shop. It wasn't a Kinko's, but you know, it would have been similar to Kinko's. And I said, what's the largest like type of paper you print on? And he said, well, the largest that we usually print on is 11 by 17. And he said, but we do have like poster boards because he doesn't know why I'm asking. So he's like just trying to sell me whatever product you can and i was like well but what's the typically largest and he said 11 by 17 so i basically scaled up how big the i've made some miscalculations but i thought that the actual live area of the artworks i hadn't even seen like a page with like all the little blue tick marks that show you the live area and the bleed and all this stuff i just tried to scale it up proportionately and i mismeasured a little bit but not too bad i wasn't too far off (laughs) um but that's how i figured it out and that to me I mean, it was being resourceful, but I remember at a convention later, Steve Lytle was looking at the the page I was drawing on, and it was the right page, but it was the wrong, you know, image size on the page, and he was asking about that, and eventually, and that's how I actually learned that the real size was through Steve Lytle at a local Kansas City convention.
0: That's cool. I, mean, I just think you know, nowadays kids wouldn't pick up a phone to call any, anybody or anything, but <laughs> that. That's awesome. So we've we've talked about all these amazing projects you've done, both whether it be as a writer with your tutorial books or as an artist in your studies and stuff. What can people look forward to when you show up to Lovacan? Like what can you give us a taste of maybe some of the things you're going to have at your table?
1: Oh sure. Uh, well, first of all, I want to say my my uh, signatures are free. There's a uh, plenty of artists that that charge for signatures, and I'm not putting that down. I personally am happy to to sign stuff for free. I'm just happy people are collecting you know the stuff that I draw. So uh, anybody who wants to bring me a big old stack of comics, I'm happy to sign them. And uh, but at the table, I'll have uh, I have some limited edition sketchbooks that you know you could either order from my website or you can get them from me in person there. But that's the only places that they're available. Like they're not available on Amazon or whatever. And then I also have uh, 11 by 17 uh, posters or what we call prints that, you know, like 10 bucks a piece or something. And then I sign all those for free. And then I'll also have original artwork for sale. But even if you don't, you know, original art is a lot more expensive because it's the single solitary piece of artwork that exists. You know, it's not a reproduction. It's the actual piece of paper we draw on. But even if you don't have the, the funds to buy that, you can still feel free to flip through the book and look up close at it and feel the different densities and textures of, of ink through because it's all under you know plastic pages and stuff so and and put your face right up to the book and just ask questions as far as you know if you're curious on what did you use to do this effect or something'm I love talking about technique and that sort of stuff so um, I think that's and then you know just chit chat to come over and talk <laughs> I'm happy to do that too uh, we'll also be doing uh, two panels one of them about, I don't know the exact title, but it's like how to break into the comic book industry or how to um, build your comic book portfolio, something like that. About uh, it's usually it mainly focuses on pencillers who who want to try to build a sequential art portfolio. And I'll be doing a panel on that for uh, an hour, and I'll have some visual examples. And then another panel I'm doing is about Batman and Ninja Turtles and how I got you know selected for that uh, job, and it'll also show some behind the scenes work and development work and that sort of thing. And I'll be happy to answer questions.
0: Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. Like I said, we're really looking forward to it. Um, I I can't wait to see the original art in your process and I'll be in those panels. Hopefully, uh, it's it's going (laughs) to be a crazy weekend.
1: (laughs) Uh,
0: Like I said, I'm, I'm a writer. I, you artist people, you can just make a portfolio and go to a convention and get a job. Us writer people, we got a—it's <laughs> a, a weirder path, I guess. Not there not is a, a, a very, very path, different but. path.
1: <laughs> yeah, I agree. There is a very different path for for writers to get in, and usually when a writer gets in, they can write three or four or more books a month, so they're absorbing more jobs, to, and it makes it harder for for other writers to get in. So it's it is hard for it is harder for newer writers to to break into the industry than newer artists.
0: Yeah, but you know, it's all, today with your Kickstarters and Indiegogos and so many good independent publishers, you know, you used to, you just had Marvel and DC, then Image came around, and then now you have IDW, Boom, Titan, all these really Uh great, I mean, I hate to say smaller, but I mean, compared to Marvel and DC, they're definitely smaller companies, and um, it's just I think a lot like how music is now, you know, there's a lot of venues for people's art and talents out there and when you have Uh people like you who are helping refine that, help mold that, then that just makes it even that much better and gives those people that much more opportunity, you know, because when you submit to one of those other companies, if you have a nice portfolio, something that looks good it's going to help you out and get you on the radar. So I definitely encourage everybody listening to come to those panels. You know, even, even if you don't want to be an artist or something, I bet there's still some cool, like you said, behind the scenes things and stuff you can learn and find out that if nothing else, you know, you'll learn something and that's always good.
1: I hope so. Yeah. And I I enjoy talking about that kind of stuff and I'll I'll be happy to answer questions and stuff. Um, I've also, yeah, about the uh, different, you know, publishers, some smaller and some bigger. And I don't I don't think that's a incorrect word to use. Um, I've even heard of people self publishing where they, you know, they'll post like a a new page every couple of days on their website and try to build an audience that way and then at the end, like you said, have a Kickstarter indiegogo thing and then print it you know, actually pay for it to get printed and, and put out physical copy. So I think all of that's very exciting and interesting and it's something i never would have dreamed of whenever i was younger and and in high school and stuff it never would have even occurred to me that that could be a reality
0: yeah yeah i know i think just being young and just like okay you either work for marvel or dc or that's it and i was like no there's so many other amazing venues and um it's a good like i said almost another golden age. we talked about the 90s being kind of a golden age i really think that there's another almost renaissance coming on i mean all this, this wonderful talent yourself included that's out there and telling these wonderful stories and it's it's a good time to be a comic fan and i think if people agree you know they can come check you out and see why and if they don't agree they can come check you out and see why they're wrong <laughs> it is a good time <laughs> and
1: see why dot 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 they're wrong they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, you know, it's, if if they listen to the show, they're a comic book fan, though. So we're we're okay. But
1: <laughs> everyone but, in the audience is, is agreeing by shaking their head, yeah, uh, up and down, yeah.
0: <laughs> if not, that's when we have muscle in the back of panels, like all these big scary guys. That if you don't like comics, <laughs> they they take you out back and rough you up a little bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, get them out of here. They're not in agreement <laughs> with us. No, um, no, I'm I'm happy for. Uh, I'm I'm happy if if people ask questions and stuff and if I don't know the answer to it or it could be that the things that I'm saying uh at the panel or whatever it could be that it's it's correct in some circumstances especially uh, that that's actually one of the reasons I I did not want to do like a uh a sketch off or a something where I'm picking the winner of a drawing contest or something like we talked about that a little bit in an mm-hmm. email because artwork is so subjective and I'll be talking about how to break in at one of the lar- you know, one of the normal, uh, you know, DC or Marvel superhero sort of comic book things, but there's plenty of other types of comic books and types of storytelling. And, uh, you know, that, that don't necessarily adhere or don't have to fall in line with the exact sensibilities that I have for, for superhero comics. Like the type of big bombastic action is not necessarily for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the reasons that I, I wanted to do these types of panels, And uh, But I'll still, you know, if people have questions or if their sensibilities are different than mine, then it's entirely possible that I could be wrong for the type of thing that they're trying to do or that they'll get in in a different direction, even doing different types of artwork or types of storytelling. Mm -hmm. But I'll be talking about how to break in and the type of portfolio to build for like a mainstream superhero comic book.
0: That's awesome. And one of the last things I'll talk about Talking about the big, bombastic style and things. I love when you see artists do something that's not expected. You know, like Rob Liefeld drawing somebody having tea or things like that. I (laughs) I always go, one of my favorite artists, uh, I mean, there's so many talented artists. But Alex Malev, I think, is wonderful. Uh And you look at his style and you're like, that's not a superhero style. But, and this is something that you do amazingly, too, it comes down to the storytelling aspect of it. And I think that an artist who is a good storyteller, you know, if you draw the superhero, quote-unquote superhero style, or the quote-unquote cartoony, like, Jeff Smith style, or whatever, right? if you're a good storyteller and you know those fundamentals that that you've been talking about, you know, you can tell any kind of story, I feel like, and that's, like I said, I like when you see stuff, or like when... I don't know if you remember back early two thousands when Ashley Wood was drawing the X Men, and it was like, why oh. is this guy drawing? You know, he he fits better in with Spawn or something like that. And I I don't know. I think that definitely speaks to a creator. And again, as a writer, it stinks. But when you can see somebody's art without words and you know the story that's going on there, okay, you know they're really good. And I think that's the talent that. Um, you're one of the people especially that really excels at that and that's it's just Thank neat you. to see you know a story without <laughs> words and uh-huh. it still work in a in a comic yeah that's medium. the
1: real test i mean that's ideally that's that's what you can do with a, a portfolio and that's what the editor or whoever might be looking at your portfolio to try to get you a job um should be able to follow the story without any word balloons now that's not going to work entirely you know for everything but in general especially if it's more about physical acting and and sort of pantomime um then it should be more about you know the visual uh, without having any word balloons of course you know the the words uh, are incredibly important in in the comic in the printed comic book but if you can just if you can tell at a glance what's happening then that's usually the 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 artist is is doing a good job at their visual storytelling
0: well, I'm going to save the rest of my questions for the panel because I can sit here. And... <laughs>
1: we'll talk all night. If, yeah, <laughs> if we're not careful here.
0: Yeah, uh, it's it's happened before. So, but <laughs> Freddie, again, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. It's it's this has been a lot of fun. I can't wait for Lubacon coming up. We're a few weeks away. Tickets are available now, and yeah, it's it's going to be great. Uh, you you have a panel Saturday and Sunday, both days. So people can check you out no matter what day they're there. Your booth, you're gonna be set up there. Um, come check out the original artwork, everything like that. It's gonna be great. Uh, Freddie, thank you again so much for not yeah. only the show, but for coming to to Lubbock and hanging out with us and showing us how to do it.
1: <laughs> awesome. I'm I'm really looking forward to it, and and thanks for chatting with me tonight too. I appreciate it.
0: Awesome. Well, you have a good night, sir.
1: Thanks. You too. <laughs>